morning, fam. Good morning. Our scene here. Am I on? Go ahead. Am I on now? There you go. Awesome. Our scene here is one of a glorious splendor. Amen. Our first passage is in Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. And John is having a vision of the throne room of God. A few verses before in chapter 5, John sees God the Father who is sitting on a throne. And he extends his right hand with a scroll in it. A symbol of his kingdom authority being delegated to the one who he deems worthy. The appearance of the scroll. The appearance of the scroll that John sees causes him to have kind of a crisis. He sees that no one is able to open the scroll. No one on heaven and no one on earth is able to open the scroll. And so he is filled with grief. Here before him seems that God is extending his hand out to take care of all the world's problems, all the world's ills, and nobody, nobody can open the scroll. A mighty angel comes and says, John, who can open the scroll? Who is worthy to open the scroll? John continues to say, no one. Y'all, nobody was able to open the scroll. Y'all feel that? Do you feel the weight? No one is able to open the scroll. Nobody in the universe is able to open the scroll. So John, concerned with the will of God, began to weep loudly. This is one of those like desperate cries, y'all. Like a grown man, grown woman cry, you know what I'm saying? A situation that you just can't possibly fix kind of cry. He's weeping loudly. Is there anybody, is there anybody who's able to take the scroll? The answer is no. But then at the right time, one of the elders holding some bowls full of the prayers of saints came. And he said, you don't have to weep no more. The lion, the tribe of Judah, there he is. The root of the king of David who conquered is able to open the scroll and his seven seals. Look over there. And then immediately he turned and looked and saw in verse six. Let's read it again. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw the lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, a golden bowls full of incense, which, which are the prayers of the saints. In verse 9, they, they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you, you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, a, a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now, 
You might be wondering, what, what does this matter to our theme of going and sending to the nations? Well, verse 6 and 7 says that the Lamb alone was able to take the scroll from the hand of the Father. If it wasn't for Jesus, if it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't have the power or the desire to make disciples of all nations. Behold the power of God. Do you hear it? Behold the power of the cross. In verse 8, the four living creatures and the elders fell down before King Jesus. These living creatures were exotic in every single way. Majestic in every single way. And yet, catch this, catch this. When they saw the Lamb of God who looked like he had been slain, they immediately fell down and worshipped at his feet. Woo, I'm telling y'all. They immediately, with their harps and their prayer-filled bowls, and they started singing a beautiful song. It makes you think of victory differently, doesn't it? You see, the cross is the power of God for salvation. What looks like weakness to us, what looks like weakness to us is the glory of God. Our world is truly upside down. Behold the power of the one who is slain. Look at look now at verses 9 through 10. These elders are now singing a song. And what is the content of their song? Jesus is worthy to take the scroll. Why? Well, Jesus is slain. And he was ransomed a people for God to himself. Jesus, the spotless and sinless lamb who was straight murdered for the sins of the world. And that is what made him worthy in God's eyes. These people whom Jesus died for from every tribe, language and nation were his people that he ransomed. And I guess that's why Jesus said to make disciples of all nations, because at the end, when it's all said and done, y'all. Who will be ransomed but all the tribes and all the tongues and all the nations of the world? And not only that, but Jesus made these people ransomed by him a kingdom of priests. Peter, an apostle of the gospel of Jesus Christ, says something similar in 1 Peter 2.9. I don't have the time to go through the verse. But he said that, which was said of God's chosen people, And in Isaiah 61, verse 6, it was also said that God's chosen people will be also a kingdom of priests as well. And also in Exodus 19, 6, that God's chosen people will be a kingdom of priests as well. This calling of being a priesthood to the world is not new, but one of great privilege now in Jesus. And has even more weight now. Jesus and his working through a blood-bought family are a sign to the world that the kingdom of God is on wrap, y'all. The kingdom of God is here, world, is what, it, is what it's saying. Our slain lamb who redeemed us is also King Jesus, the savior of the world. Y'all, these truths in this passage are like massive. Do y'all feel that? Y'all can talk to me. Come on. Come on. Talk to me. Thank you, Devin. Appreciate you. I appreciate you. We will be his people. We will be his people because he loved us enough to die in our place. The ransom 
is for all people groups and ethnicities. Tribes and languages and nations will gather to praise King Jesus and all those who have been redeemed from the tribes around the world and nations will reign with Christ. Do y'all hear that? You're going to reign with Christ. You reign with him right now. Some of that experience we experience right now, right? If you've been ransomed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and are thankful, can we give a clap to King Jesus today? A yell, an amen, something. If you are thankful that God chose to redeem all peoples, can I get an amen? Amen. If you are thankful that God chose to redeem a people, I want to hear it again. Can I hear an amen? It might not be as much as you like, but God is making his appeal through us. Yes, even our small church in here. Look around. Look around. He's for sure doing it globally. We reign with him according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. But some things we're still awaiting, like God's ultimate and final triumph over evil. So how should we steward and use our newfound priesthood? Here's a few takeaways from this passage. One is really only one, but I'm going to say it two different ways. Walk with Jesus now by participating slash walk working towards the eschatological reality of this church, of his church. Or you could say it like this. Walk with Jesus by working and working towards what his blood brought redeemed people will ultimately be one day. This, my friends, is why we go to the nations. So Jared and I are talking to you this morning about the theme, sending to the nations. And this text that Jared has so powerfully began to unpack for us from the beginning is starting us out by thinking, why? Why do we send to the nations? And I want to not move too quick from that because I want us to feel it. What, what this little glimpse into the throne room of God is doing for us is saying, we go to all the trouble and make all the sacrifice and do all the strategizing and all the effort and all the praying of, that's involved in sending to the nations because of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he will do. Amen. He is the son of God. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah, which means he's the conquering king who will overthrow all evil in the world. But the way he does that is by being the lamb. He conquers evil through self-giving love. Mm. What he has done, that word Jared was just talking about, he redeemed us. That means he paid the price so that we who were slaves to sin and Satan and death could be set free. Isn't it good to be free? Amen. Free from guilt, fear and shame. Mm -hmm. There was a group of Christians who in the modern era were some of the first to go start taking the gospel to North America and to Africa and, and places where it hadn't been ever or in a long time, who were known as the Moravians. They were a persecuted minority group of Christians. But one of their slogans as they were going and um, doing all kinds of wild stuff, taking huge risks. I mean, the Moravians walked with Native Americans on the Trail of Tears in solidarity with them and their suffering. The Moravians attempted to sell themselves into slavery so they could get access to slaves and share the gospel. They were amazing people. 
But one of their slogans that they would say came from this passage Jerry was just talking about. And that the banner that was over their work was the lamb is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. Mm. Jesus already paid the price for people from every ethnic and culture, cultural group on earth. He's worthy to receive their worship. But it's not just what he has done, it's what he's going to do. We know that our labor is not in vain because, as Jared said, when he's done, what does it mean that the scroll is open? It means everybody's soul is healed and all of our relationships with God are right and all of our relationships with one another are healed and all the evil and pain and injustice in the world is done forever and everything is set right. Doesn't that sound awesome? Yes, amen. And so now we're asking the question, how? And the answer is sending. Jesus sent us. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. He sent us in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we read through the book of Acts, the church, in obedience to Jesus, is constantly reaching its own community. Every church is trying to reach its own community and then sending people to other places until the gospel spreads. Today, we're talking about the fourth aspect of the Christ Community Church community mission. If you've been with us for the last six weeks, you know we've been talking about this theme of God's mission and ours. Today's the last week of this sermon series. And here's what the fourth aspect of the Christ Community Church community mission says. Let me read it to you. As disciples of Jesus, we seek to glorify God by intentionally training and sending out teams to work towards these goals in other communities across the world. Now, the, the words, these goals, is referring back to everything we've said for the last three weeks. We share the gospel in our neighborhood. Everybody say evangelism. Evangelism. We help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. Everybody say discipleship. Discipleship. But we're not just about words. We're about works. We're about embodying a witness to the kingdom of God. Everybody say works of love and justice. Works of love and justice. So we're trying to do those three things in our neighborhood. We're sharing the gospel. We're making disciples. We're doing works of love and justice. And now we're saying, and we intentionally, on purpose, with planning, send out teams to do that in other parts of the world. Now, this theology of sending, we've already begun to touch on it. But let me just take you into one more passage of scripture that we'll take a moment to meditate on. This is from Romans chapter 10 is the second passage in your bulletin. Let me put it in context first. The Apostle Paul has been writing to the Christians in Rome, trying to explain to them how sinful people like us can get right with God. Y'all know that God loves you, but you're sinners, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody say, God loves me. God loves me. Everybody say, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Which means we need to be forgiven. We need to be healed. And Paul is asking the question, how do we get forgiven? How do we have our souls healed? And he's making it clear... What is not going to save us is the law of God. Okay, God gave us good commandments, like honor your father and mother, like don't steal, like love your neighbor as yourself, right? Those are good commandments, but they can't save us because really what they do is reveal to us how messed up we are. When I hear love your neighbor as yourself, I become aware that I love myself more than my neighbor, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. The law of God reveals to us our sinfulness and it can't change our hearts from the inside out. But Paul says... Here's how you get right with God, not by the law of God, but by the grace of God through the death and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we're forgiven and reconciled to God. And the Holy Spirit comes to live in our hearts, 
so that Jews who had the law and Gentiles who didn't have the law, meaning all the ethnic groups on earth, can be right with God by grace just by trusting Jesus. And a few verses before our text, he says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Let's say, everybody say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You'll be forgiven and reconciled to God and come to share in God's new creation. Now, he's building on that. In Romans 10, 13 through 15, let's read it one more time. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He's echoing what he said a moment ago when he said, confess that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. But now he's quoting from Joel chapter 2. The prophet Joel in the Old Testament had a vision that one day God's going to come to set everything right. He's going to overcome evil. He's going to heal all the wounds of the world. And who's going to get to be with God in the new creation where everything is set right? Well, Joel answers the question. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. What's interesting is the word Lord there in Joel is the word Yahweh. Sometimes transliterated Jehovah, the Lord God of Israel. If you call on Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, you will be saved. Now, what this text is saying is when you call on Jesus, you're calling on Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of Joel's hope. And he goes on and says, okay, so if calling on Jesus is the way to be right with God and to have everything set right, how does that work? And he says, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? This is verse 14. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? There's our key word. Everybody say sent. Sent. Paul is saying all over the world, there's people whom God loves and he wants to show them his love through Jesus. Aren't you glad somebody told you about Jesus? Amen. Because he loves them and he wants to heal their souls and satisfy the longing of their hearts and forgive them and bring them into his new creation. But if they're going to believe, call on Jesus, they've got to believe in him. If they're going to believe in him, they've got to hear about him. If they're going to hear about him, we've got to send somebody to tell them. Mm-hmm. And then... Paul once again quotes from a prophet. This time it's not Joel, but Isaiah. Verse 15, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. I love this. He's quoting Isaiah 52, 7. Let me read it to you. Here's what Isaiah said. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. I love the fact. Y'all know that I like the word shalom, right? Mm -hmm. It's saying evangelism is publishing shalom through Jesus Christ to the world. Mm. Who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The message of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, God's kingdom has come to the world. God has come to make his kingdom known. How beautiful are the feet. In Isaiah's context, he was talking about the good news that God's people were going to get to come home from exile. Now, once again, Paul is saying that hope was ultimately pointing forward to Jesus because Jesus comes to all nations with all of our beauty and break brokenness and says, by grace, I'm going to take you home to the presence of God. So we've got to send. We've got to send messengers. Now, I'm going to pause with my preaching for a second to tell you a story. Y'all ready for story time? Mm-hmm. I want to tell you a story which is about my personal life, but it's also about this, the story of our church, Christ Community Church. By the way, side note, one of the beautiful things about being a part of a local church is that your individual story, which is already shaped by the story of Jesus, gets to be connected now to a new family called a local church. So that your individual story shapes the story of this church, and then the story of this church ends up shaping everybody else's story so that we're all shaping each other's stories. Isn't that fun? Mm-hmm. Well, let me tell you part of my individual story that 
has played a role in the life of our church. Back, if we went back in time about 14-ish years, 2007, Candace and I, my wife, were living in Norman, Oklahoma, and we had moved into a low-income, multi-ethnic trailer park where we were living and sharing the gospel and making disciples and trying to take, teach uh, neighbors to take care of each other, and beautiful things were happening. It was awesome what God was doing in that neighborhood. And we were a part of a, a group of people who were spreading that in apartment complexes, neighborhoods across Norman and trying to love Jesus and walk with Jesus and humbly share what Jesus has done in our life. And as we were doing that, Candace and I were praying a lot about, God, what do you want us to do with our life? What do you want us to do with our life? And we were asking God the question, what could we do with this short little period of time we have before heaven that would bring most glory to you and most blessing to people? Two things that were on our hearts were inner city ministry in America. We cared about that. That's how my family came to know Jesus. I don't have a whole story about that. But that's important for my family and my, and my story. And the other thing was unreached people groups among the nations, especially in places like North Africa, where you could find millions of people who have never had access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Throughout the Middle East, throughout South Asia, so many people. We were thinking about those two things, and I was trying to figure out, how do they go together? Are we supposed to plant our lives in the inner city in America, or are we supposed to go to the nations? And as we were wrestling with that question, we were trying to do what the Bible says, which is ask advice from wise people. For lack of counsel, plans to fail, but with many advisors they succeed, says Proverbs. So we were asking godly people, men and women of God, who had been used of the Lord to have a big impact, bringing hope to hurting places, what should we do with our lives? And a bunch of different people from different parts of the world gave us variations of the same answer. They all unloaded on me this spiel. Would you like to hear the spiel? Mm-hmm. Thanks. Here's the spiel that they told me. They said, if we look at Jesus-loving, Bible-teaching, American evangelical Christians over the last 30 to 40 years, he said, we've been relatively good at getting young people fired up about God's heart for the nations, which is great. Young people, we should be fired up about God bringing healing to the whole world, shouldn't we? Mm-hmm. Old people, middle-aged people too. We should all be fired up. <laughs> fired up. He, they, but these people were saying, we've been pretty good at getting young people fired up about God's heart for the nations. And, he said, we've been pretty good at being generous to give a lot of money. American Christians have given millions of dollars to send people to go proclaim the gospel and try to bring hope and healing to hurting places. But all these different people said what we haven't been good at is training people so that after we send them, they're effective where they are. He said, usually these people have not been deeply discipled. They've heard a lot of sermons, but they haven't been deeply discipled, which means they haven't walked closely with somebody who can help them experience God's grace in a way that brings healing to the deep woundedness about their broken family and the abuse they went through growing up and their trauma. We've all got brokenness in our stories, right? They probably haven't had somebody walk with them to help them really understand their identity in Christ, to form habits of intimately walking with Jesus through Bible study and prayer. They probably haven't had anybody that they've opened their hearts to enough to really get help with their secret hidden sins, whatever it is, the pornography addiction or, you know, whatever. They haven't had anybody that has really been able to walk with them to help them with all those things. On top of all this... Uh, they haven't had very much theological training, just maybe a little bit. And in terms of ministry experience, they've probably been on some mission trips. They've probably done a little bit of service or evangelism in their home city. But what they definitely have not done is go into a community that is not Christian, that's unreached, and that's culturally different than them. 
move into that community, live among the people, lay down their lives to be, uh, embrace the lifestyle of those people there. And while they're there, share what Jesus has done for them, lead people to Christ, form a new community that's centered around Jesus Christ and mentor leaders who can become indigenous leaders from that community who can become mature enough that they can then lead it and multiply. They haven't done any of that stuff. But then when we send them over to seas, that's what we're asking them to do in another context. And we're asking them to do stuff that they've never done in a language they don't know yet, in a culture they don't know yet, in the face of intensified satanic opposition. And they haven't really been deeply discipled. And so they're saying these people are going and sacrificially laying down their lives. And by God's grace, he brings good stuff from it. But a lot of people bear a little bit of fruit. And a very small percentage of those folks are bearing a lot of fruit. And they said, that's not on them, it's on us. We need to be better at training. That's a heavy word, isn't it? So we started thinking about training. And then, here's two things that happened. One, a guy by the name of Nick Ripkin, who is one of the world leaders in studying what, what is happening, how people are coming to know Christ in the midst of persecution all over the world. North Africa, the Middle East, the former Soviet Union, China. Why does the church, some places die under persecution, in other places it thrives and goes deep but doesn't grow, in other places it grows explosively. And as he was doing that work and studying that over the course of decades, he, he then came back to the United States and was trying to equip people to go be effective among unreached people groups. And I remember Candace and I were sitting in a group filled with uh, hundreds and hundreds of college students, and he looked out at all of them and says, listen, if you really want to know how to be effective at loving the nations, What you need to do is learn how to love people who are ethnically different than you in your own city. So don't try to do it there if you haven't done it here. You need to learn how to cross the boundaries that separate us in our own city. And he told a story about a young, energetic white guy who was excited about going to the nations. And he challenged him in this way. And this guy moved into a trailer park that was majority minority. He learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes, made good friends. But in the process of that, he got to share Jesus with people. And God raised up a house church with about 40 new believers and then he went to the nations and he was very effective among the nations. So I heard that. And then a guy who is the leader of what was, I think, at the time, the largest mission sending agency in the world. And he said, you know, as I look around, who around the world are our most effective missions leaders? Who's doing the most good to bring hope and healing to hard places? He says a lot of them came out of and he named this one inner city ministry in Texas that Candace and I had been a part of. And those two experiences all of a sudden connected the dots for me. And a season of worship and prayer just felt like the Lord was saying, I made you to go live in the inner city. But in the inner city, what's happening is there's spiritual warfare. There's a lot of ethnic groups. There's beautiful people. Don't you love Southside? It's beautiful, isn't it? Mm -hmm. There's beautiful people, but there's a lot of brokenness and challenges. Have you noticed that too? Mm -hmm. He says... It's a it's an opportunity to move in, to learn how to navigate cultural and ethnic difference, to learn how to build real relationships and humility where we embrace the discomfort, embrace the discomfort of our diversity, to learn how to love people and share the gospel and disciple indigenous leaders. And if you'll go do that, then that can be a training ground where people can learn how to do it on the job training and we can send them to other inner cities and other nations. And that was in our heart before. We then, in a night of prayer, felt like the Holy Spirit said, move to South Oklahoma City and plant a church. So what I'm wanting you to hear, for those of you that didn't know, is that the vision of Christ Community Church before Christ Community Church was ever conceived is that we would lay down our lives for South Oklahoma City and that God would make this a training ground and a launching pad 
to send elsewhere. You hear that? Now, we've been here for 11 years, and by God's grace, we've seen a whole bunch of people come to know Jesus, and we've seen mercy and justice happening in our neighborhood, and it's been wonderful. And we've just started to the point where we've started to see the fruition of sending. Sent a team of 15 people down a few years ago to plant Hope Community Church, and they've reached a bunch of people in Norman. Now we've got teams already in North Africa and the Middle East. We're about to send one woman to Wales and another woman to the Near East. So there's a sending and there's a spreading that's happening. And what we're praying right now is that God's going to stir something up in your heart to think about, let's reach this place. And some of us are saying, if God allows, I want to plant my whole life for decades to love the people of South Oklahoma City. That's my prayer. If Jesus tells me to go elsewhere, I'll go. But I want to plant my life here. But some of you, even right now, the Holy Spirit may be stirring something up and say, right now, I want you to serve here, but I'm preparing you for something. Because there's other parts of the world that need the hope of Jesus, and you're going to send them. Now, we've got a little special video right now, because as I mentioned, we've sent out several teams. One of those teams is the Belt family, and Jordan Belt sent us a video to share with us about how his experience in Oklahoma City was preparing him for the work he's now doing in the Middle East. He's told me dozens of ways that that's prepared him, but he's going to share a few of those in this video. Is the video working? Video ready, guys? Okay, let's turn our attention to the screen. Uh, and I understand why they're great people. I would too. However, it's late at night. They're all asleep. They send you their love uh, from Tina, Ella, Lydia, and Landry. So why am I on the screen today? Well, uh, this past week I had the um, opportunity to talk to John Mark as we occasionally catch up and ask about each other's families and our churches and our cities and pray for each other. And he shared with me that today he was going to be preaching on our community mission of being sent. And uh, it was a no-brainer. It was a great joy uh, as a sent person from Christ Community Church to share a few minutes of how our hearts were transformed, how we were um, trained and matured during our time with Christ Community Church. So to give a little context, let me step back. Um, In 2010, uh, it will be 11 years this June, Tina and I, pre-kids, felt a call by God to move to Southwest Oklahoma City to join with a group of people and uh, start Christ Community Church. And what that looked like was um, people fully trusting God's word to do what God says he would do as we proclaim the good news and to serve and love our neighbors. And I've been pleasantly surprised that uh, God has been more fruitful than we ever could have thought or imagined the work that he's done in Christ Community Church. So, so grateful for uh, each one of you. So that's where I am. I'm going to share just a few lessons learned from our time. And um, hopefully it will, for those of you that um, all of us are are being sent into that neighborhood and into that area of Oklahoma and to love our neighbors and our co-workers. But a few of you will will have the call of being sent internationally. So I hope a few lessons learned here would encourage you um, as you think about what that looks like for you. So lesson learned number one, God's word is foundational. Our, our six and a half and almost seven years of, of, of living in Oklahoma City and serving in Christ Community Church is that I came from a, a, a background of a, a, a great college ministry, but it was, it was very good at stoking our flame about living internationally. Um, but it wasn't until our time at Christ Community Church that we, we had to trust God's word. We had to, to believe it to be, uh, to be true. And, and it was also a place of us learning to teach it. 
and um, and learning how to explain it and to um, other people to experience God's love and, and His Word. Every small group that we did, every community group, a growth group would be centered on God's Word and uh, loving people and, and praying through it. So um, that that was it. God's Word was foundational. It was incarnational. It was us living it while we were trying to learn it and to continue to trust Him. Um, the second thing that lesson learned was that there is there's fruitfulness in being in a healthy team. And by that, I mean, I guess, a, a healthy church. So my question to you would be, when you think about being sent, do you primarily think about it as an individual? Or do you see yourself as a part of God's people being sent into a, a place or to a neighborhood for, for his purposes? And... I was more on the first side, the the first answer than I, I would be today, which would say it's both. Um, but I that, that there's so many people that move internationally that maybe just aren't as healthy as they could be if they saw the beauty of God's church. As Ephesians one says, is that that Christ is the head, and that at, in that place of uh, of community, that God's fullness dwells. And let me just give an example here. So, if, do you guys know Jared Stevenson? Of course you do. Um, he he might say I discipled him, but it was in those times that I saw the beauty of the church that he was discipling me. He was showing me how to pursue justice, how to love my neighbors, how to be a father to the fatherless. And it was, it was just a beautiful time of, of what God was doing through that. If you've been around Candace Hart, you know that she is uh, very hospitable. And she welcomes warmly people into her home, into her place. Um, if you've been around John Mark, his wisdom. If you've been around Chauncey, his friendship and his... Um, humility, if you've been around Morgan Curry, her laughter and her joy, if you've been around, there, there's so many people I can name. God, what God was doing was showing us that we, we needed each other and each other needed us. And it was only through that that God was expanding his, his word. So a healthy team is, is a fruitful way to go about being sent. The, the last thing I would just say to be quick on this one is that, and it may be one of the most important, is that God, God sees people as valuable from all socioeconomic backgrounds, from all nations. Um, and that's really impactful for what my wife and I are doing now in the Middle East. So as we go to Genesis 1, we see the Imago Day. We're all made in God's image. Well, my wife is in healthcare. She's a physician, and I'm in HR. Those are in, intersecting the world in a place where there's a lot of need. And we get to care for people, um, and we pray about what it looks like for us to serve our, our neighbors and our colleagues. So we would not be as fruitful, we would not be as faithful as we are today if it wasn't for you shaping us, discipling us, maturing us, and sending us. Thank you for sending us. We are part of a healthy church here that we're able to fruitfully serve as well. Um, God bless you, and you are sent. Hey, as, as you watch that video, my heart is just warm because I love those people so much. Um, but they, they spent years serving alongside us here. Now they're living in the Middle East and in, in some of the prayer updates that they send us. In the last month, they've been able to share Jesus with people from at least 14 different nations. They're seeing people be drawn to Christ from a variety of different backgrounds. And what part of what you just heard him allude to is that um, they're also being able to be instruments of God's justice in some key areas of healthcare and business. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. But they're encouraging us to think about loving our neighborhood here and joining God and what he's doing among the nations. Now, here's something I want you to pray about. All of us can be involved in this. 
Some of you, God wants you to go. I don't know if it's a year from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, but some of you, God wants you to go to take light to another part of the world. All of us are praying. All of us are now making disciples, waiting for God to raise up the next generation of leaders that we're going to send. All of us are giving financially to support that work. But all of us are called to be involved in this. Amen? Amen. And one of the things that I'm going to be praying about for my sabbatical, which starts tomorrow, is in the fall, we're wanting to launch... At this point in Christ Community Church, our sending has mostly been very organic. God stirs up in people's hearts. I want to go. We pray with them, walk with them. But there's people like Gavin Hart and others who have been working for a while at gathering information and planning and preparing for a more strategic uh, a way of training and sending. And more intentional. And that's something I've been asking people a lot of uh, help about. And it's going to be a major point of prayer over the course of this summer. So that our goal would be that in the fall, we're going to launch a more intentional, structured, international sending pipeline. Which means if God is putting it on your heart, possibly to go among the nations, this will be an opportunity for you to take that from idea stage to let's talk about what this could look like in real life. And perhaps enter into a trajectory that that could be real. That sounds really exciting to me. Who would like to be a part of sending out people from this church to go take hope to the rest of the world? So that's uh, our goal. That's our heart. Jared's going to share a few words with us before we wrap up today. (laughs) Man. In God, dude. I love y'all, man. This is, I love this church. Um, Let's put back up there 2 Timothy 2 real quick. It says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, many witnesses and trusted faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about discipleship, right? Everyone say make disciples. Make disciples. We emphasized in that passage that those people that Paul charged Timothy to invest in would need to go and teach others also. Would need to go and teach others also. Those people needed to take the message and go forward. Paul knew that if the movement he was being swept into was going to keep going forward, he needed to sin and he needed to go. And so I uh, recently, as I was working through, um, I was working through First and Second Timothy, was really struck. Um, by this verse again. And it was really funny. It was kind of like, man, I've heard this verse a billion times. <laughs> I mean, a billion. <laughs> and um, I was just like, wow. I think God is trying to teach me something here. And I think it's something similar to what John Mark was um, pointing and alluding to what happened to him while he was sitting down uh, listening to, what was his name again, John Mark? You talking about Nick Rippin? Yeah, yeah, Nick Rippin. And uh, it was something similar. I'm sitting there reading in the Word, and I'm seeing 2 Timothy 2.2. And I'm thinking about our context. And I'm thinking about how can we make disciples faster and quicker. I'm just always thinking about that. (laughs) I'm always thinking about that. But God just kind of struck me. And he was was like, hey, I want to, I think I want to enlarge your vision real quick. Did you know that those people who are in front of you might be the very people who are going to go to the nations? Hmm. Now, John Mark said from the conception of this church was that was the vision, right? 
That was the vision of this church. I'm just a little slow sometimes. <laughs> It's all right. It's all right. As long as God gave me there, I'm okay with it, you know. You know, God wants to use you. And I think right now, some of you guys who are going out every single week are going out into the apartment complex. And I'm praying for you right now that as you go out, maybe, just maybe, some of the people that you're engaging with are going to be the very people who get sent to the nations. Do you believe that? I think I think that might be the case. Maybe, just maybe, some of you in here who are being trained to do inner city ministry are going to be the ones who go to the nations. That's a beautiful thought, right? But I love how this verse starts in first in Second Timothy chapter chapter two, verse one. It says, "You then, my child." You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. The grace that's in Christ Jesus. Y'all, we don't do this on our own effort. Not at all. We can't, we can't send anybody to the nations on our own strength. It just won't work. It just won't work. We need God's help. We need God's grace. So what I want to do right now is I want to spend some time praying. Like literally praying right now. And I want to do something a little bit, a little bit different. Can everybody, if you, if you feel comfortable doing this, reach your hand out to John Mark. And if you're near Gavin, you can do the same thing to him. Because this summer, like he was saying, I didn't know he was going to say this actually in a sermon, in a sermon, kind of give some of the thoughts behind a formalized training. But one of the things that John Mark's going to spend his time doing is just thinking about how do we sin? How do we do this in a a little less organic, but a more structured and formalized way? And we're going to need a lot of wisdom. Amen. There's all kinds of different barriers. There's Satan and the powers and the kingdoms of darkness to overcome. And there's just all kinds of different angles. And I just want I just want God's wisdom to be ours, you know. And so if you would put your hand out to him and I'll give you a second to pray over him. And pray over Gavin. Would you, would you do this with me? This simple prayer. Just pray that God would give them wisdom on how to send people to the nations. Would you do that right now? And after a little bit, I'll close with some prayer. Go ahead and pray. I just love my brother right here. Lord, I pray that you would bless him immeasurably in his sabbatical. And Father, I also pray, Lord, I pray that you would help him. Lord, as he is not just taking a break, Lord, that he's resting in you in holy ways. And he's thinking and he's meditating on what you want for his family's life and for the church's life. Lord, that you give him wisdom in so many different ways, Lord, that you would speak to him in his prayer time. Lord, that you would speak to him in his Bible reading. 
Lord, that you would speak to him in his singing, his worship, and his praise, and his thanksgiving. Lord, that you would just be wrapping him with your love. Lord, that you would remind him deeply of his identity in you. Lord, in such a way that it just leads to power being poured out as he returns from his sabbatical for everyone that uh, is in his pastoral care, Lord. And Father, I also pray, Lord, not just for us, but Lord, for himself, Lord, that you would continue to to show him things, Lord, that draw him closer to you, Lord, and show him your immeasurable love for him and the fact that you are the king who is sitting on the throne. And so, Father, would you help him right now? And uh, as the months go by, Lord, would you continue to reestablish and rekindle a flame and a heart for sending people to the nations, Lord? And, uh, Father, as we, we turn our hearts, Lord, to, to worshiping you again and singing songs of praise, Lord, we sing like you are sitting on a throne. Lord, would you, will we sing and praise you as if, Lord, you really are the God who reigns on high? Lord, would you, would you help us, Lord, to know of your great love for us, Lord? Would you establish and root us in, in, in the identity that we have in Jesus Christ? Lord, would you do that? And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.